SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty present the Underdog Podcast. And welcome back to another edition of the Underdog Dynasty Podcast, AAC edition. My name is Dan Morrison. That is Emily Van Buskirk. How are you doing today, Emily? I'm good. It's cold out here in California. We finally got a little bit of winter, so uh, I'm trying to stay warm. Yeah, don't mean to brag, but it's cold here too. <laughs> yeah, it's like 48, which is I think is about as cold as it's going to get. So Yeah, no, it's to the point of view where my car every single day goes with a little beep beep every time I turn on ice warning, drive carefully. I need to figure out how to turn that off because I get that it's cold. I've I've driven in New England before I can handle it. <laughs> I can't imagine driving in I think I did it when I lived in Peoria, Illinois, when I first got there, it was a little bit snowy and that was terrifying, but I don't know if I could do it for like a whole season. I remember my senior year of high school, I was driving back home and my parents' house is like on a hill. I went to Mm -hmm. hit the brakes to turn onto the street and I just kept sliding past the street because I was stuck on some kind of ice. Yeah. But I mean, like I made the turn fine because... (laughs) You know, you just get used to ice real quick. You just have to like not hit black ice and be careful about not hitting black ice. And that's terrifying. Yeah, that's not that bad once you're used to it. It's like when I lived when I've lived in Florida, driving through the thunderstorms where it's like you can't see two feet in front of your car. You just get used to it. That's so scary. That that I did that. I was driving from St. Louis back to Peoria, and the lightning was like over the freeway. And I was so scared that I pulled over under an underpass because the storm was so bad. and just sat there. I was like shaking. Uh, you got to get on that central floor to just drive through a grind. <laughs> I just can't. I was like, what do people, how do people live out here? This is wild. But you just like any other place. I mean, you're from California, so you don't necessarily have a lot of weather to deal with as a rule. Exactly. Like, when you live in a place that has different weather, you get used to what that place has, you know? I would take an earthquake over driving oh. in inclement weather. I wouldn't. Earthquakes, <laughs> earthquakes oh. are like really not as big a deal as everybody thinks they are. Well, yeah, you know, until they are. Except, <laughs> except for the big ones. Yes, of course. But I've until only lived are. through, I've only lived through one of those. So yeah, you know, I, I've fine. lived through none and that's nice. I lived through <laughs> occasionally some goes, did you feel that earthquake last time? Like what earthquake? Yeah. There was one in like Virginia. Did you feel it? I'm like, no, <laughs> no, I didn't. My favorite is earth, earthquake Twitter. Like after an earthquake happens out here, you get on Twitter and everyone's just like, it's so funny. I love it. Yeah. But we have Anyways. actual college football to talk about still. <laughs> we do. Only one game really to talk about just because, well, only mm-hmm. one game to recap because we only had one of the championship game. It was Houston 20, Cincinnati 35. Bearcats undefeated season. Going won the conference, won the AAC, and going to the college football playoff to play Alabama now. Thoughts? <laughs> well, I, I'll go on record first to saying, you know, I was wrong. Um, I guess, you know, since I mean, not I guess, since I came out and played the game that they needed to play. I don't know if statement win is what I would say. A lot of people are like, oh, they make their final statement win. I don't know. I guess 15 points is... And there were times when they did look extremely, extremely better than Houston. Mm-hmm. But I mean, Houston came out, I thought, you know, way better. And and then I thought that was going to be the tone. You know, when we first started watching, it was like Houston came out swinging. Yeah. 
They just well, couldn't do it. Yeah, I think, well, you know, just as well as I do that a lot of coaches script, like the first two drives of the game or first 15 mm-hmm. plays. I thought Houston's script was really, really good. And they were mm-hmm. attacking since they had to go to, once they got off script though, it immediately felt like they fell apart a bit and couldn't get it out to the weapons that same way they were. They had a really hard time blocking since he's D line after that, you know, mm-hmm. and it spiraled a little. But really, you know, it was back and forth for the first half. But uh, yeah, it was a fun back and forth. Like if you took that first half or even the first quarter and you put that up against first quarter, yeah, yeah, pretty much the first quarter against. I was watching that versus watching Alabama Georgia. Ooh, way more fun. Yeah, absolutely, and you know, like since they came out and had a really good drive to start the second half, where they went down and scored, they had you know that really good uh, the touchdown play was on that really good RPO thing that they do where. Ritter can give or keep. And then when it looks like he's going to keep, he's got a wide receiver in the flat to throw to so that when the corner bites to go hit the quarterback, they've got an open wide receiver. They do that a lot. It worked really well. Uh, Clayton Toon responded by immediately throwing an interception. And at that point, the game kind of was over because momentum just you know started rolling on. Yeah. Rolling up for Cincinnati and they jumped them up. It was like 35-13 very quickly in the third. And and then I just didn't feel like Houston had enough urgency coming back. No. You know, like since he should have gotten a scoop and score, they AAC refs overturned it on replay. Don't know yeah. why they did because <laughs> definitely not evidence to do it, but wouldn't be a big game without AAC refs doing something silly that no one understands. Right. Uh, especially in the replay room. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, since he, Look, you're an undefeated team. You deserve to be in the college football playoff. That's my policy. It always has been. Of course. Going back to, you know, 2014, that's always how I felt about it. But let's not sit here and pretend. And I know you'll you'll appreciate this point. I'm not saying that they don't deserve to be it based on, you know, numbers based on what seems to be the criteria for the committee and whatever, mm-hmm. whatever. And a lot of people are pointing to this third quarter they had in this Houston game, the 21 and 0 third quarter run. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's like, you know, even Luke Vickle is like that, this is who we are. And I'm like, who you are should be a complete game. If you're going to be one of the best teams in the country, you should be able to put together a complete game against an opponent mm-hmm. with no letdowns, no mistakes, none of that stuff. Yeah. And yeah. I don't know that the Notre Dame win, everyone's like, oh, weighty non-conference slate highlighted by Notre Dame. But you oh. and I talked about this, that that Notre Dame team they played at that time was not the same Notre Dame team that... Yeah. Notre, at that point, Notre Dame hadn't figured things out on offense Right. That, that's they were not that good fair. at that point, you know, and I and I saw that. But, I was there, so... This is my one thing, though, is when you, like, you can pick apart Cincinnati, like, in an individual game, like look at this point of the game where they tripped up over themselves or like they didn't play 60 minutes here. And I think that's fair, valid complaints at an individual game basis. Like, you know, I think it was like 17 to seven at the half against temple. Like you should have been blowing them out because that's the two lane game, the two lane game, the Navy. This happened a bunch where you let lesser teams hang around and like, right. Those are worthy complaints to bring up. But did Alabama not let Auburn take them See, to I knew, I knew you were going to say that. And I'll, did they not also, let a six and six Florida team that fired? But they're Alabama. They're, they're allowed to do that because they've proven but year that, and year and year that they deserve to be there. Cincinnati is like that's a female. That's my point, though, is that they shouldn't, you shouldn't be only focusing on this season. You shouldn't go, well, we know that they're probably good because they did it last year, too. That's not how it's supposed to work. No, but I know it that's does how it does work, work in practice, but like, it's not how that's it's how supposed to work. That's how it works everywhere in every speaking, like, philosophically. Walk of life. I understand. And I wish the world was a different place too, Dan. That's very nice of you to say, but the reality is 
It's Cincinnati is like how I feel it is to be a woman in sports. We have to be absolutely perfect, meaning we cannot mess up names. We cannot mess up stats because everybody is looking for a reason to be like, you don't belong here. You never played the game. This is why you shouldn't, you know, be a sports reporter or be a sports analyst, whatever. That's what Cincinnati has to be. They have to be perfect so that they can set this example that, you know, group of five teams belong in there. There, there is no room for error. And like the thing is, they only made it this year because three of the Power Five Conference champions had more than two losses at least. Right. Because, it was a crazy year. Because they happened to have Notre Dame on the schedule. Because if, say, Notre Dame had any other AAC school on the schedule, they would have beaten mm-hmm. them this year. Realistically, they would have. You know, Houston could have probably given them a really good game, but. Yeah, everyone's like, they they're would have beaten anyone else. Slate. Their non conference slate was Notre Dame. Miami, Murray Ohio, State, Miami, yeah. Ohio, and then Indiana. Two and ten, yeah, 2-10 Indiana. So, I mean, I, I'm all for, like, giving Cincinnati their due. They deserve it. They worked extremely hard. And what they did, hey, an unbeaten season is impressive. I don't care who you are. It is 100% hard to not trip up and lose a game. But let's not sit here and say, oh, all of these things were so impressive. They they played in, in a very weird AAC Okay, where they played down to many of the teams, like you said, the the non-conference was not impressive other than Notre Dame. And it wasn't even that good of a Notre Dame team when they played them. So, okay, let's let's not wax poetic here about this team. That's my thing. Like, let's call a spade a spade. Still, they broke the glass ceiling at the same time. Getting in is something special because, you know. I think we, you, you and I both recognize 2017 and 2018 UCF before the McKenzie Milton injury were both better teams than 2021 Cincinnati. And I know mm-hmm. I come from a place of bias when I say that, but they were just get over it. They were, you know, <laughs> that Houston team that lost a game and otherwise could have made a run at the playoff because they had beaten Oklahoma that year, I think was probably the one that was a uh, Greg Ward was the quarterback back. Yeah. There. Yeah. I think they were probably better. You know, going back before the playoff, I think those, you know, Boise State had several teams better than them. But, you know, Utah in like 04 when Urban Meyer was there, like these Mm -hmm. are teams that were all probably better than Cincinnati. TCU for several years there when they were in the Mountain West, you know, but they never got into the championship or had a realistic shot to make a championship game. They're always kept, no matter what system we were using, the BCS or the playoff, they were always kept on the outside looking in. So this is monumental just for that simple fact that they were recognized to get in even if they were imperfect at times even if they weren't as good as other group of five teams or you could say other mid-major slash group of five whatever language you want to use team was more mm-hmm. deserving in a different year it doesn't matter because they were able to do this and you know like i'm as a ucf fan i'm incredibly jealous of it but i'm still rooting for cincinnati the whole way now because you want to prove something that they belong you don't want it to be like you know you don't want Alabama to beat them 45 to 10 and then everyone go see they didn't belong, even though <laughs> Alabama would have beaten Notre Dame, Oklahoma State, Baylor, insert the team there 45 to 10. You know what I mean? You don't want that to happen. You just want. I mean, some of us want that to happen. Well, you want to be proven right. <laughs> I mean, it's not that I want to be right, but I. <sighs> you do want to be right, though, right? I don't know what it is about this team, but I can't get behind it. And I, I'm telling you, it all stems from when we went to that Notre Dame game and the attitude from the players and the coaches and how they carried themselves. It was, I, yeah, I, I, know, know. I know you didn't like that. Yeah. Just, Kim and I both said that, like it, they were very, they were very like, uh, I can't think of the word, but they just 
cocky. They were not humble. Yeah, they were definitely not humble. That was that was for sure. And maybe you need that. And maybe that is the chip on the shoulder that you get as a group of five team with no respect. Those UCF teams weren't exactly popular and they played, you know, cocky in the fan base play. Yeah. But I wanted to root for them. They were funny. This is not funny. This is just like... Let me tell you what, you're pretty much in the minority of people outside of the UCF fan base who want to root I for never those had a teams. problem. I never had a problem with that. I don't know. I don't know what it is about. I don't know why I can't 100% get behind this team. I just, I can't. But I will say that was an incredible game they played. And, and Ritter, he really, I will give him this. He he came out and did what he needed to do and, and was a leader. I have not always seen him lead this team, but in this game, I saw him stand up and be that guy. And now he's the winningest active quarterback with 44 career victories. Um, third in FBS history behind, of all people, Kellen Moore and sense. Colt McCoy. Both of those check out to me as someone, yeah. as someone who was like 12 years old when those two were playing football. Mm. That checks out right away. But Kellen Moore, though, that's wild because he was Boise State, right? Yeah, he was Boise State. He was the lefty. He's the Cowboys OC now. But no, he was the, he, when you're a four-year starter at a program that, makes a run like mm-hmm. that. That's how you get there. Like, uh, then Colt McCoy, he, was he a four-year starter at Texas? He must've been, I think. Yeah. If not more, he was there forever. I feel like he was at Texas when Vince Young was there and he was there until like 2012 <laughs> yeah. or something like that. Colt McCoy basically was Texas forever. So that's why yeah. I, that didn't surprise me. The, the Kellen Moore, I, I guess I had forgotten. That you know, doesn't how... surprise me as someone, like I said, who was like yeah. 12 years old when Boise state had a blue field and was doing that stuff. Mm. And like, and like to play with them on the NCAA video games. Cause they had a blue field and I was, you know, a 12 year old. Exactly. Uh, no, that, that all makes sense to me. I just, I don't know. I, I mean, do you think that it would have been different? And this is my biggest question. Obviously it's I probably know the answer, but being at home for Cincinnati is huge. Oh, Not yeah, that they played was ecstatic. Right. So, okay. If that's a neutral site game, do you think, you know, since he can't draw from that crowd energy, do you think it's a little less, a little less lopsided? I mean, yeah, I think that's safe to say that it's yeah. a different game. If it's played somewhere else the same way, like, you know, Last I year like during get, the pandemic, that if mm. the whole crowd was there, maybe Tulsa doesn't hang around in the championship game. Right. You know right. what I mean? The same That's way true. that like, you know, UCF lived off the crowd or fed off the crowd noise in the 17 and 18 uh, AAC championships, especially that 18, uh, 2018 one when uh, it was right after the Milton injury, like the crowd carried that game for a long time mm-hmm. and the emotion of the building. Like those things do impact a game that you lose if this was say at, you know, the Mercedes Benz Superdome, you know, right. if it's a neutral site like that, it's still, I don't like neutral site games in college. They, they lose that atmosphere. And I love that atmosphere, but they do affect the game itself. They, it depends on where you do it. Like I was very impressed with the Pac-12 atmosphere in Vegas. Like Utah, well, I mean, I, well, Utah we knew Utah was going to, yeah, we knew they were going to show up because it's a special year for them, <laughs> but they travel well anyways, but I was surprised they filled that stadium the way they did. So I think if you're going to do it in a place like that, you know, Las Vegas at an NFL stadium like that, or like the Cowboy stadium, I, I'm okay with it because people will go out for the experience, um, you know, and if it's two good fan bases, but I don't know. I just thought Nipper was such a, like, it was like the 12th man in the game. You oh, know? Yeah. <laughs> like, and, and absolutely. But that's also how the conference is designed. If, you know, yeah. Houston didn't want to have to go to Nipper, they should have lost to Texas Tech. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's 
That's a very, very fair point. And that being said, I think Houston, what, what we take away from this game is they, it was impressive what they did, you know, after that loss that you mentioned, they ran straight through the rest of their games and, and after all the turmoil from Derek King and, and all the Holgers and stuff, I thought that Clayton Tunes improvement to me was the most impressive thing about. about yeah. Them. I'll go back to what actually the color crew for the game itself were talking about with tune. They mentioned his hamstring injury from earlier this year. I think it happened against mm-hmm. Grambling. Uh, yeah, and they early. said that Dana or one of the coaches might've been the quarterback's coach there, whose name's escaping me, uh, said that it was the best thing that happened to uh, Tune as a quarterback because it forced him to get past his first read, which was the thing he apparently really struggled yes. with before that, is he couldn't just bail out and run every time because his hamstring wasn't right for it. So right. it forced him to get to his second and third reads. And now that it's healthy again, he, he can run, but he doesn't rely on it the same way. So he's really developed because of that being forced to sit in the pocket. Yeah, I think that, I, that's interesting. And I think that was a very, very good point that I really hadn't yeah. thought of. You, you know, you normally think of a hamstring injury taking away your mobility on a quarterback as a, uh, oh, now they're a wounded duck out there. But <laughs> from that sense of like, hey, get off your first read, get to the second one, it's a really good thing. Yeah, it re- forces you to rely on your other tools um, and, and rounds you out as a quarterback. So I just thought Clayton Toon was one of my favorite storylines this year in the AFC because – watching that transition there were so many people that just doubted him and i saw him play last year and i was like okay this dude has the ability but there's going to be a lot of hurdles for him to overcome and people that want to the hate on his game and and say he's not you know especially coming after Derek king who was incredible until he left so it was kind of fun to watch i thought houston was like the team you you wanted to root for because because you could you know because they were like no no yeah, I don't know. I just, I, I like watching ne- Houston season. I don't know. I, I've never loved Houston. I think it's just, <laughs> no, Holgerson like, makes it hard. I don't love Holgerson, but I, Houston's one of those schools to me. That's all. They should always be at the top of this conference. I've said that several times mm-hmm. before, but they've got the history. They've got the money. They've got the facilities. They've got the location, geography, whatever you want to call it. Right. To always be in the position they were this year. And that's something that they, I mean, both these schools are leaving the conference along with UCF for the big 12, but you know, it's something that they really were down for a few years there. And it's nice to see a team that should be there, be there because like, you know, in the like 2014 or so, like 2013, like them playing UCF was huge for like UCF. Those games were really good. You know what I mean? And it's been kind of a shame that Houston's been a little bit of a shell of itself the past few seasons because, you know, for just for the conference as a whole, it's better. They're one of those schools where it's better for the conference if they're good because they get more respect inherently, which is yeah. a kind of not great way to say like, Hey, it's better. Houston is good than SMU, but it's true because nationally you'll get more respect for a good Houston than a good SMU team for no reason other than they didn't get the death penalty. <laughs> frankly yeah. you know what I mean? It's odd how that works sometimes, but yeah, Houston had a great season. They should, I actually don't know what the final top 25 rankings were like past number six, because it's kind of irrelevant. So I didn't bother. They, they, s- they should they stay ranked. In it. Yeah. There's no, you lose as a ranked team to the number 14. There's no reason to fall out, but they should absolutely no. have been ranked higher than they were coming into this game. Uh, yeah, really good year. Did you happen to see what bowl game they're going to by chance? Yeah, they're, they're playing Auburn in. They'll beat Auburn. 
Yeah, but that's still like kind of cool, like to that's good. whether or not it's a down year for Auburn. But yeah, it's it's Auburn, you know. You get the same, yeah, or you get to at least have your shot at an SEC team. Yeah, so I think like, that's always important. Um, I know, yeah, like UCF's got Florida in the Gasparilla Bowl, which is, oh, that's going to be wild. It's going to be a ton of fun, but like it's a minor bowl game, all things considered. I know in Florida again, they fired their coach. I think Billy Napier said he's going to be calling plays for the game though. Uh, for Florida. Yeah. That's what that's that's kind of cool. Oh yeah. Houston finished yeah. 20th in the well, that's the college football rankings. In the top 25, they finished 21st. Yeah. And they're going to be playing Auburn in the ticket smarter Birmingham Bowl on December 27th, December 28th. Sure. Birmingham Bowl. So there we go. Birmingham Bowl. Yeah. Ticket smarter. That's the funniest part for me going through these bowl games and how much the names have changed. Because I was just looking at the bowl schedule, like trying to pick out which games I want to do yeah. and stuff. And you've got just like roofclaim.com, Boca Raton Bowl, uh, PU, BG Mobile, Bundy. New Mexico Bowl. Yeah. What? I, I missed the when the Boca Raton Bowl is the Cherry Bundy Tart Cherry like Juice Bowl. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> Radiance Technologies Independence Bowl. Do you remember for that one year when the Fiesta Bowl was like the Battle Frog Fiesta Bowl for some reason? <laughs> no. I never figured out what Battle Frog was. Uh, the Jimmy, Jimmy Kimmel yes, LA Bowl. I was just yep. about to say that one. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we'll do a bowl preview show next week after we Army Navy and get more into it. Uh, there's a few really interesting ones. I'm I actually, I'm not going to jinx myself, but we just put in the credential request for the Fenway Bowl for me, so I'm Hoping nice. that that goes through nice. That's SMU Virginia that. for those interested. Yeah. I'm really, I'm thinking it's going to be dead empty because no one from Virginia or Dallas is going to be driving to Boston for the game. I've but, always, I love when they do the bowl games in the baseball stadiums. I think it's awesome. Fenway, Fenway's held the Harvard GL game. Notre Dame had a Shamrock series game there against Boston College. A uh, few other football games. I'm trying to think right now, but they're escaping me. But it's a pretty good, it's so much better than Wrigley for a football game because you don't have to run into the wall to do it. Yeah. <laughs> have you ever seen this Northwestern always does that at Wrigley when they have to like play only one direction because they're just the walls too close to one. In the no, I hadn't seen that. We used to have one where they played, uh, it was the Emerald Bowl and they played it at the uh, San Francisco Giant Stadium. Yeah. I think there's so one at the uh, Diamondbacks Field this year too. Oh, yeah. Chase Field. That's where they do the Cheese Dip Bowl. Um, no, the Cheez-It Bowl to... got moved to uh, to Orlando for this. Oh, it's did now it? Being played, oh, shoot. It's being played in the Citrus Bowl now in Orlando. Well, they, they did the Cheez-It Bowl there two years ago, and that's where we saw it. It was really cool to see um, at Chase Field. It was neat. I like it when they do that, so it was fun. Anyways, it was good times. Absolutely. Uh, but, yeah, no, going back to the uh, AAC championship game, I was really – I thought the most fun kind of individual matchup was Marcus Jones and uh, Alec Pierce. They were going at each other all game. Mm-hmm. And I thought they did a pretty good job splitting time. And I didn't realize how small Marcus Jones was until I saw him against Pierce. <laughs> and he, he's like teeny tiny. Yeah. And he was doing it. He held his own. He wasn't perfect by any means. But, uh, you know, Alec Pierce had one of those third quarter touchdowns on a little back shoulder throw. That's hard to defend to begin with. But uh, it was a really good individual matchup for the game that, you know. Yeah, it'd be fun to watch. Monster game for Cincinnati. Uh, You know, I don't hear that massive, like, 70-something yard run in the first half. It was a great, really great game to watch in the first half. And then, I personally, I thought the second half, even though since he kind of controlled it from that point on, was really, it was nice to just feel that building swell of momentum, like, and recognition that, oh, wait, 
they're going to the playoff in the stadium to be like, yeah. wait, we're going to the playoff. And you know, everyone goes, wait, Oklahoma state lost. They can't jump us. And, you know, we beat Notre Dame. They're not playing anyone. They can't jump us. And like, right. It's just, that's kind of like swell was really cool to feel too. To have uh, that, that driver's seat mentality at that point is nice. Exactly. It's nice to be able to control it where you don't have to wait on anyone else. So Oklahoma state really helping out there. So <laughs> they did though. That was a pretty fun game. And so that was a really fun game, but I got to I don't under, I know Dave Aranda is, is who he is, but my goodness, his lack of like stoic, any just no, his, his lack of any sort of like enthusiasm yeah. in the post game. And like when they realized they had won, they show him on the sideline. He just looks like a disappointed dad the yeah, whole he, time. He's like, all right, I guess you have to quarterback <laughs> sneak it out of the end zone now. <laughs> it's like, I was like, bro, you're winning the game. Like what? In his post game, he was Enjoy just so. Big 12. <laughs> yeah. Hey. But you know, I, he just cracks me up. So that was, there was. The, all the all the championship games had fun little nuanced things like that. I thought that was. Yeah, and I think the New Year's Six Bowls are going to be really interesting. You got yeah. Notre Dame, Oklahoma State with Marcus Freeman's first game as head coach. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ole Miss Pitt in the Peach Bowl. That's going to be yeah. a ridiculous game to watch. I'm yeah. I'm all for ridiculous football games. Uh, who did Baylor end up drawing in the Sugar Bowl? Ole Miss. No. Ole Miss. Ole Miss Isn't is it? going to the Sugar Bowl. I thought Ole Miss and Pitt were in the Peach Bowl together. No, I think it's Ole Miss Baylor in the Sugar Bowl, and okay. then the Peach Bowl is. It's definitely Pitt and somebody. Let's see here. Uh, it's Pittsburgh and Michigan State. Oh, Michigan State. Oh, which is a good matchup. Oh, I think Pitt's going to light up that secondary. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I don't think Michigan State's that good, but I mean, Michigan State's secondary is terrible. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that that was their weakness all year. Ohio State let them up bad. I think Mm -hmm. Pitt's going to, Kenny Pickett's going to pick them apart in a not flattering way. Uh, But yeah, Uh, next week we have one last AAC game on the season. It's going to be the Army-Navy game. You're going to be there. We did a quick little preview of it last week. Yeah. Now that we're actually week of, I think it'd be interesting to see how you're feeling, what are your plans for the game? We're really excited not only, you know, for – I mean, I've been wanting to go to this game my whole career. It's just there's – I want to go out on – a limb here and say that, you know, people are always like, Oh, who watches army Navy? Who wants to see the triple option that much that long? Uh, everybody, this is America's game. Everybody's going to be watching it. The uniforms are incredible this year. Mm-hmm. Um, both teams. I think it's, we were talking about like who we think is going to win. I think it's going to be a closer, more interesting game than maybe past games. Right. Well, it's, it's usually pretty close though. I mean, it's always, yeah, boring, but, but I just mean like going in, I don't know that I would pick one team over the other, you know, I don't know. I, I like it. I, I think I like Navy this year. Yeah, I mean, don't get okay. me wrong. Army's had their number the past couple of years, but I, you know, I really like how Arm or sorry, not Arm, how Navy's come along over the course mm-hmm. of the season. Like I said, this Navy team is probably a bull team if they don't have the basically the hardest schedule they've ever had under Kenya Matalolo as head coach, is they had a run there where it was. Notre Dame, Cincinnati, this is not an order, mind you, Notre Dame, Cincinnati, Houston, SMU, UCF, East Carolina, Memphis, and then Mm -hmm. Tulsa, like all basically in a row where it's like basically every bowl team or bowl eligible team in the AAC plus Notre Dame plus like just a monster of a schedule. And that's really, and even during that time, you saw them getting better. Like Like you said, like, we, uh, we discredit Cincinnati for punching down to Navy a little bit and not quite being who they should have been. 
Navy was also punching up really well in that game. You know, yeah. they beat a UCF team who frankly should have beaten them even with a backup quarterback. You know what I mean? They beat, yeah. who else did they, you know, Memphis was Memphis ECU. These are teams that they played pretty well, mm-hmm. despite frankly being the less talented team. So I, I'm really, I'm confident that they've built up momentum for this game and really yeah. would like to repay army for last year's game up in up in West point, which was, and grab a share of that trophy, because if they do win this game, then they will get a share of that, uh, commander in chiefs trophy. Yeah. Which is huge. That's really what, yeah, that's a big deal. For I don't me, think so. I, I, like I've said before, I, we really need to put more emphasis on winning your conference championship as the goal for a season, especially with group of five conferences, because mm-hmm. like, it's an attainable goal. It's a realistic goal. It's one where you don't put yourself at the mercy of people doing polls. You know what I mean? It's just, yeah. And it <laughs> makes the game, it makes sure that everyone has something to be playing for at the start of the year instead of being like, no, well, we're the, you know, Memphis football team. They'll never let us into the playoff, you know, kick bricks because we can't win the national championship based on that logic. You know what I mean? Right. No, it gives you a goal to go get. And that's important. Uh, Absolutely. Navy plays first and foremost for the commander in chief's trophy. Yeah. Every year. It's more important than a conference championship. It's more important. (laughs) Yeah. It it just is. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's the big goal. So I'm really excited for that. I am as well. And and it's for those of you that don't know, it's Saturday and it, that is the same day as the Heisman trophy ceremony so we will be in new york we'll be at the heisman friday doing all of the you know pre-media with the finalists who i don't we haven't announced i, yet, say, I but haven't heard of any announcement no they haven't announced it quite yet i mean everyone seems to think bryce young is is the favorite here but Why? we very well could Why? see Ritter there I, I don't know that's because he well, here's my thing yeah i'm i'm gonna be very annoyed when the quarterback wins it this year because no quarterback really deserves it this right. year agreed and that's the thing is the Heisman's supposed to be for the most outstanding player, regardless of position in all of college football. Correct. Am I crazy? It's supposed to be. So the tenant of the Heisman, a lot of people get away from this is the player that does the most for his team. Mm-hmm. Right. <clears throat> and exemplifies, you know, what good character and integrity on and off the field. Mm-hmm. So that my biggest issue over the years is kind of those things have been lost because look at who's won the award. The fact that Cam Newton won it over Andrew Luck is it's like the biggest travesty in sports. And then Christian McCaffrey doesn't even win it, what? even though he did the most for his Stanford team. No, obviously, no watch Stanford play football. Yeah. And they and I was at that Heisman ceremony. I've been at the last uh, six or seven. And at that one. I was with Christian McCaffrey's family shadowing them, kind of like doing a whole story on it. They actually had a voter come up to him and be like, yeah, I never saw you play. Which is insane. That the, first off, that the voter would admit that. <laughs> not the smartest, not the brightest bulbs here. Uh, but yeah, I was like, give the vote to me. I watch every game. I will definitely, like, you have a responsibility and a due diligence when it comes yeah. with a vote like that. So I just, yeah, no. And for me, it's just, <sighs> I wrote about it recently for a mm-hmm. website uh there's been one defense primarily defensive player to ever win it that was uh charles woodson uh and there's been like mm-hmm. six wide receivers to ever win it i want to say of six with the you know Devonte uh, smith last year being the most recent right other than that it's a strictly quarterback and running back award and i think it's because we watch football like idiots as a rule of thumb because i think yeah we are trained to follow the football and wherever the ball goes, that's what we understand it as. So if there's a running back who runs for a lot of yards and, you know, puts on a hit stick and highlight plays, you go, Ooh, he must be the best. And he's the reason this is happening. 
a quarterback throws for yeah. a bunch of yards, you go, Ooh, he must be the best in this, why this is happening. And that can sometimes be true, but there's also cases where you go, well, you don't notice that the reason all this is happening is because the right tackle is actually bulldozing two people every play. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So you don't notice that that linebacker is making all those tackles because a defensive tackle is doing his job perfectly every time and forcing double teams onto him. And even though he's not making the play, he's actually the best player on the field because he's sucking up linemen to be and not right. letting them get to the second level. People don't understand defense as a rule who right. watch football. And that's partially, again, it's just the way it is because of you know how people view it. They view it through, through the eyes of the offense. Right. And because of that, we're never going to see fair justice act the actual most outstanding player which is often a defensive player and yeah. frankly this year probably is a defensive player if you want to stick with a playoff team will anderson or you know aiden hutchinson aiden I hutchinson at is, michigan is insanely yeah. good he, you know you, we talk about heisman moments what's three sacks against ohio state if not a heisman yeah. moment you know well, he's, he's definitely gets a lot of talk but like he's in the conversation the right now the odds um are you know bryce young cj stroud I don't understand this at all. Matt, Pickett, Matt Corral yeah. over Kenny Pickett. I don't oh, because how. People, because well, they're about the dead even, but I don't know how. Like that, I will literally burn it to the ground if, if Matt Corral is there. I will. It's because SEC. It's ridiculous. Uh, and then you have Aiden Hutchinson and Kenneth Walker running back from Michigan but State. So There's also a huge bias against a group of five quarterbacks. We, uh, those who read Underdog Dynasty a lot will probably notice there's been a lot of Bailey Zappi com, uh, content lately. Yeah, I Kentucky quarterback Who's putting up Joe Burrow 2019 uh, numbers and has been doing mm-hmm. it without anyone noticing because all the games are on ESPN Plus and, you know, they're just shoved to the corner. Well, Western Kentucky two years ago was trashed. So the fact that, like, this – I was just talking about this with somebody. Like, I went to the Marshall-Western Kentucky game two years ago. It might have even been – it was last year or two years ago, and it was bad. So yeah. to turn the program around like that and have a player like that come out of the woodwork, I mean. That's incredibly important. It's, incredibly, it is. it's, it's a massive impact and it's going to be almost entirely ignored because it's at Western Kentucky. Yeah. You know, and that that's my issue with the Heisman, not to rant too much about it. It's an award given to the, not to the best player, not to the player that means the most to his team, not to the most outstanding player in any capacity. It's given to the offensive player, typically a quarterback or running back <laughs> who plays On for a team that won at least yeah. 10 games and, yeah. you know, and happens to have big numbers. It's not even about who they are as a player. It's about the stats they put up. And it's about how many wins they had as a team. And you know, what's funny about this, this race is going to be close, which I actually appreciate because then it makes being at the ceremony more worthwhile because I don't know. A lot of people don't understand how many years where like, you just know who won it. Yeah, of course. And then people, what I will give, you know, after we go is I'll give people a little insight into how it works, especially from a media perspective. Cause a lot of people don't know we as media do not go to the ceremony. So we are not in, you know, the, the Mm. theater, we're actually at the hotel next door, the Marquis Marriott, in a room, and the, the players are brought in there first, and we interview them before they go, you know, to the ceremony, mm-hmm. and then they're brought in to us after, the winner is, and the coach, and his family, so, but we're given the envelope with the Deloitte results right 
as it's announced. I mean, like we're handed them right as it's announced so that we get the breakdown. And every year I go, I take a picture of this because it breaks down like who was voted for by which region and how much. And you get to oh, see how close it is. Stuff. Yeah. yeah, it's really That's, interesting. So yeah, my little rant goes before you even talk about regionalism that comes into voting for the Heisman Trophy, <laughs> the history of racism that comes with voting for the Heisman Trophy. Like there's a lot of issues with it, in my opinion. And I'm still going to be obsessed with who wins. And I'm still going to be like, it still matters a lot. It's to the me. Heisman. Like I was pushing as hard as anyone else for McKenzie Milton quarterback of UCF for two years to mm-hmm. win it. And he was in the top 10, both voting uh, 2017 and 18. But like, I thought especially he got kind of like should have been invited in 17 because he was the second most efficient quarterback in the country behind Mayfield. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And Mayfield won it that year, if I'm not mistaken. So like, I really just felt like, well, why wasn't he invited? Oh yeah. Because that group of five bias that, well, he mustn't have been that good if he was only doing it against Memphis USF. Right. <laughs> and just well, it's hard because it is a it's a seen or be seen award. Like you have to have the visibility and the numbers, you know, to 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 truly be considered, unfortunately. But this year, this race this year resembles, in my opinion, 2009. And that was when uh Mark Ingram. Beat out Toby Gerhardt. I can't even begin to talk to you about how many Stanford oh, players have been beaten out. But that was the year and Sue should have won. And then, yes, Texas's Colt McCoy finished third, and Ndamukong Sue finished fourth. So who was the best player that year? But again, no one knows anything about defensive tackle play. If so, we got two quarterbacks this year, Walker and Hutchinson, then we would have a race very similar to that race. So. I'm going to keep an eye on that. It might be interesting, but it, either way, it's going to be close. And I am interested to see how this breaks down. Yeah. So I, I just can't wait for all the people who only watch SEC football in the Southeast to not vote for say Aiden Hutchinson, because they just didn't watch Michigan. All the big 10 voters to just not consider any Alabama player out of principle because I'm mm-hmm. not giving to an Alabama player. And for everyone who have ignored any possible player deserved in the PAC 12, not that there really is one, but no. like, you know what I mean? Like, it just that's it just frustrates me the politics behind it. Like the Northeast yeah. will shove all its votes probably f- for someone in the Big Ten because there's no one from Notre Dame worth giving them to this year. Right. You know what I mean? Like it's just you know Oklahoma doesn't have a quarterback, so those votes will probably all go to the SEC. Everybody who thinks that the Heisman Trophy race is over, like Paul Feinbaum tried to say, uh, it's not. Bryce well, Young Paul, is, is such he, a homer. He, he might be Bryce Young might be at the top of the list given the performance we just saw. But those people that vote for the Heisman, especially in the media. I watched the first half of the Iron Bowl. <laughs> no. Right. I know. I saw him play against Florida in person. It was not that impressive. I mean, he, he's it's good. Like, yeah. But, but the again, Heisman is not about who is the best player in the country. Yeah, but he's it's good. About but who, he's got like five first round wide receivers and linemen and running. Exactly. He has a lot so, of things around him. Exactly. So like so, how good is he really? We don't. It's the same reason Mac Jones got knocked in the draft last year. Yeah. He put up huge numbers and he looked real good. But what about how good everyone else is? Like, how good is he really? Like, it's impossible to tell at this point when you're one NFL player on a team of NFL players. Yeah. Well, it's going to be fun. I'm excited. Our biggest concern is how we're going to get from one event to the other in time. Because I thought the Army-Navy game was at noon. Oh, is it like 3.30? I think it's at 3 Eastern time. And the Heisman uh, media stuff starts at 5. Now, they won't reveal the winner Till way later so i think we'll, mm-hmm. we'll be okay for that part but it's got to get from new jersey to downtown manhattan so it should be interesting don't take the holland tunnel would be my best advice 
I'm, I'm pretty sure we're gonna take the train. So <laughs> at that point, but yeah, well, at least the army Navy game has the decency to wrap up in two hours for you. Yeah. I was talking about that. I was like, this is, it's a perfect kind of game for if you're trying to make two things. So, Definitely. but I do want to give a shout out to the Heisman trust and the, and the people who run the Heisman trophy award. Um, they're incredible, incredible people at what they do. And it's one of my favorite events to cover their, their team does a, does a great job. And it's, it's really like you get to see these guys in a more relaxed environment, interacting with each other. And I've had some really fun stories over the year, you know, from Chase Young and Baker Mayfield and Christian McCaffrey, like just really fun things. So um, shout out the Heisman folks. They do a great job. So and if they want to give me a vote, I'm, I don't even have a vote. I would I'll love take a back vote. everything I said. <laughs> I would love a vote. <laughs> I feel like everyone but us has votes then. Yeah, I guess a so. lot of votes going around out there. I guess so. Oh man. Uh, yeah. So we've got that covered. I to, dipping back into army Navy. I know we picked it last week. I'm going to reiterate. I'm picking Navy for that game. I'm giving you a chance to not pick army this time. If you want to not pick army this time. Uh, yeah, I'll go Navy. Okay. All right. You'll join the, yeah, join the company. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's do it. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Any other news going on in the AAC? I know Chip Long's out at Tulane. He took the Georgia Tech OC job. I don't really know why he'd jump on a sinking ship, but he did. I guess there's more money. It wasn't involved. going well. It wasn't going well. Yeah. I guess there's so. more money involved in being on that sinking ship than in, at Tulane. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> bad news for Pratt, those three offense coordinators in three seasons isn't ideal for development in the rest of the offense as well. No. Not great for your own development. Uh, I haven't heard any news about the temple job at all. That opening's still just sitting yeah. there. I thought Joe Moorhead would have made a really smart hire, but he took the Akron job and seems mm. like he, he was probably in talks with them before temple even opened up of just the timing of everything. The weirdest uh, thing that's going on is the Miami situation. Don't you think? Yeah. So at the time Wild. of recording this, they actually just got around to firing Manny Diaz. But just like, now, which is Monday, like which is they've been talking. Was reported yeah. Mario Cristobal was the head coach for eight million a year. Why? Wild, wild stuff. Like the, I, so oh, yeah. the disrespect. The money Miami's spending, they have to. Is there yeah. uh, the Clemson AD Dan Radakovich is his name? I could be mm-hmm. wrong. I think that. No, no, correct. that's correct. I actually know Dan. Um, I worked with him a little bit. He's a big Joey Chestnut fan, so we okay. worked with some stuff well, with them. And you might be right down to the U then with Joey next year because <laughs> he's getting the AD job. It sounds yeah. like there was like that. sixty something like boosters, trustees, board members, all like trying to control the AD search, which is politely described as a massive situation <laughs> uh, yeah. and they they like hired mario cristobal before they fired manny diaz and they would only get radakovich if cristobal was the coach in place and it was just an insane mess trying to sort that out uh incredibly i think inappropriate the way miami handled that to manny diaz who frankly deserved better even if he hasn't been as good a coach as you were hoping he would be you know you shouldn't yeah. like leave him out on the recruiting trail and recruits homes having to explain why he hasn't been fired yet. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, cause that's what he was at. Uh, I don't, I don't three years is, because yeah, three years is a quick time. That's a, it's not enough. Like in, in the, and they weren't bad years. I think his record was 21 and 15. What? No, last year they were good. Last year they were like yeah. a team and showed a lot of life this year. They took a little step back, but they had like the weird deer King getting injured and like yeah. transitional situation. I don't know. I think they just, 
something must have been going on internally that we just well, don't know about. Just look at the AD situation and how they hired their AD. It's uh-huh. a mess internally in Miami has for years not put the resources into the program to be good in the modern era. They think we're Miami, we're the U. Of course, right. we're going to be good. We play at the Orange Bowl. We, you know, we have all this history. We can just recruit kids from the city just like we always have. And it's just not true anymore. And they haven't reacted to that change in college football. Yeah. Uh, I think this might be them reacting to that change where they're willing to spend, I forget how much Radakovich is going to get in costs to bring in, but it's millions of dollars. Many ideas to fire is like $7 million. The buyout to pay Oregon's like nine million dollars, since eight million more a year for ten, or so a total of eighty million dollars going to Mario Cristobal to be the head coach. That's a lot of money. They might be saying, "All right, it's time to invest and join this arms race." Which I think this has been the most ridiculous coaching carousel for several reasons. Just huge name coaches leaving huge name programs for other huge name programs, and the amount of money being thrown out is. Uh, you know, for a lot of people, it's disgusting. I think Congress is starting to look into it. This is like crazy. And, and I'm just really surprised by Christopher. I just, I I'm didn't see this coming at all. I'm not surprised he took it. I understand all the ties. Like he's from there, you know, he, his career, had, it was a big part like, of his coaching career, but. The, the Pac-12 media deal is so bad that like Oregon, no matter what, has trouble keeping up with the size of contracts that other schools can offer their coaches. And that's what keeps happening to them. He just you know, didn't strike me as someone who, who that was a priority for. I mean, that's what I'm saying. I can stand here and make it seem like it's not a priority when I'm making $4 million. So, Oh, it's just an extra $1 million a year. Like I'm already rich. Like, but then when they say double, you go double and I get to live at home and it just adds up, you know, it's just, it's disappointing is what it is. But Well, again, it's another strike. Especially when you're leaving, especially when you're leaving on a note, like he left on, I don't, well, that's I, the other thing. I don't 100% know why Miami wants Cristobal. I know he built a program really good at Oregon, but I'm going to be mean to him for a second, if that's okay with you. He right. was able to recruit California kids when USC stunk, when USC had a broken wing. That's how Oregon got to where they're at now, which is a pretty consistent 10-win team under him. Uh, mm-hmm. Now, frankly, USC is not going to stink. USC does not have a broken wing. USC has one of the best recruiters in the country in Lincoln Riley, and they're going to keep all those kids Oregon was getting home. And mm-hmm. you know, I mean, they're going to keep a lot of the kids that were going to the SEC from California home that Oregon couldn't even get then. Oregon, even with all that talent, would still, you know, I guess pardon a duck pun, lay an egg several times a season. They would mm-hmm. just, you know, whether it was Oregon State last year, whether it was Utah twice this season plus Stanford, whether it was, you know, you can go through and name it. They would come out a game every now and again and just look lost with their game plan. And, mm-hmm. you know, Utah, for an Oregon team that's supposed to be the best Pac-12 team in the trenches, they embarrassed them in the trenches twice. Yeah. Absolutely humiliated them. So if Mario Cristobal, for all his offensive line background and for all his offensive line talent, got their butts kicked in the trenches because he couldn't game plan well enough because he couldn't scheme well enough. And I don't see why Miami wants a coach who had the easiest recruiting gig in the world at Oregon for the past few years and still couldn't get over the hump. Yeah. Really? You know what I mean? He still couldn't get them into the playoff. He still, did he ever even win the Pac-12? Maybe that one year they won the Rose Bowl over a Jack Cone, Wisconsin team. You know, and when he had Justin Herbert at quarterback and couldn't score more than like 24 points a game, like, I'm sorry, I don't see Mario Cristobal 
good program builder, but he's going to have to recruit in Florida against the Gators, against the Seminoles, against a UCF team that's going to be in the Big 12 soon, against the rest of the SEC that always goes down to Miami, against teams like Clemson who go down. Like, I'm sorry, he's going to stink at Miami. In three years, they're going to be firing him and doing this whole cycle again of bringing in a former Miami Hurricane player from the 80s or 90s and pretending that they've got it going. So, no, I've got – I don't – feel bad for Oregon right now. Tell me how you really feel. <laughs> Anyways, that's a, our AA. <laughs> well, it's about to be a wild bowl season. That's for sure. It is. I'm, we're going to do our AAC bowl preview next yes. week after the army Navy game, probably in the same episode as uh, our recap for that. We're going to be going back down to one episode a week at this point, just because the uh-huh. season's over, not so much to review and preview, uh, going forward. I think that's going to be the methodology through bowl season. We have to figure it out, dance around Christmas a little, make sure we've got everything up in time, right. figure out what we want to do for the playoff, yada, yada. And then I think we're going to be in good shape after that going yes. into the off season. Uh, I had a great time this season. Yeah, it was a fun yeah. season. It was really fun. Yeah. Got to see different parts of college football and learn about different Fan bases yeah. and just yeah, you dipped your toes fun. into the AAC this year. I did. It was fun. It was exactly really fun. Fun fan bases, nice people, good teams. Like you know, it was it was a, it was a good year. I liked it. So awesome. Yeah, I'm glad to hear that. Uh, mm-hmm. If you want more of my nonsense, Mario Crispel hot take talk, uh, hot take topic tweets. I don't know words. Mm-hmm. So easy. Uh, you can find me at Dan underscore Morrison 96 on Twitter. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at MLM, E-M-I-L-N-E-M. All right. And we are off.